You know, I um, I stopped drinking. I just stopped drinking. I cut way back uh, on the drink, and I stopped for a while. But um, yeah, cut way back. It was it was needed. But um, my friends here in Durban saw fit to throw me a, a pre-birthday party last night. I do turn 45 tomorrow. Thank you very much. And there was much wine. So uh, should you be doubting my commitment to the title of a show called Rough Sundays? I am, in fact, rough on a rough Sunday. But it's a birthday and it's South Africa. And we just got over an insurrection and can buy things again. So you'll forgive me. Welcome back. Part two of our diving, driving, bouncing into Graceland. The magnificent, if not, I mean, I think we could say perfect album by Paul Simon. Nearly perfect. We're going to get into that later. Uh, you know, last week we, we, we started talking about what he did, having fallen in love with a certain South African sound called Mbakenga. And uh, I think I pronounced that wrong. Let's just assume I will. And, and then following that sound down to South Africa, where he spent um, just about two weeks jamming with the musicians there and then taking it back and mixing their sound with his, which is, in fact, I, I mean, if you're looking for the, the true genius in, in his being able to find a place for his Paul Simon sound in the midst of all, well, not the true genius, the true... Anyway, you know what I'm saying. It was really, it was really cool. But that gave us Graceland. Um, an album I think frequently referred to as, as one of the best of all time. It definitely comes in in the top 100. Whoever's list of the top 100 albums of all time, Graceland is going to be in there. Uh, and I agree, as well it should be. It's definitely my favorite. But it, it's not, as we talked about last week, it is not without controversy. Lots and lots of controversy. More than you would ever think from I mean, it's Paul Simon. We're not talking about NWA, you know. It's Paul Simon. Huge controversy. Uh, and even more controversy I, than I ever knew about going into this. But after it came out, the first criticism came, which I was completely unprepared for. And the criticism was... You broke the UN cultural boycott. Paul Simon has run into political problems in South Africa. Mandela was still in jail. The clerk was the president. I was uncomfortable. The African National Congress protested Simon's recording in South Africa, a violation, they said, of the UN's cultural boycott. We have been saying to artists all over the world, at this point in the history of South Africa, the expression of your support must be non-participatory. The boycott stated that South African musicians could not play anywhere in the world. Paul decided that uh, it was a risk he was prepared to take. Touring with Graceland was actually quite tense at times, particularly in Europe. Before every concert, the police would come with bomb-sniffing dogs and go through the whole theater. I remember when we were in London, especially, and of course we had the anti-apartheid movement protesting. The day he arrived, a hand grenade was thrown at a building housing sound equipment to be used during the concerts. But would you believe it got even crazier? I mean, nuts. Bananas. We're talking about, are you ready for this? I'm, what I'm about to tell you is not made up. There was an assassination threat on Paul Simon's life that Steve Van Zandt had to beg off. Plus an entirely different controversy involving Linda Ronstadt. 
I'm being dead serious. Are you ready? Me too. Let's do it. Graceland Part 2. It's Rough Sundays. In a taxi heading downtown Rearranging my position on this friend of mine Who had a little bit of a breakdown I said, hey, you know, breakdowns, common breakdowns go So what are you gonna do about it? That's what I'd like to know now, You don't feel you could love me But I feel you could It was in the early morning hours When I fell into a phone call Believing I had supernatural powers, I slammed into a brick wall. I said, hey, is this my problem? Is this my fault? If that's the way it's going to be, you want to call the whole thing to a halt. And you don't feel you could love me, but I feel you could. You don't feel you could love me, but I feel you given a, a cassette it was called accordion jive hits by the boyoyo boys i used to play this tape all the time and you know after about three weeks of it i said you know this is my favorite music i can't i'm not interested in listening to anything else i found out that it came from south africa so i asked my record label do we know anybody in south africa they said, yeah, this is uh, producer Hilton Rosenthal. I had the call from Paul Simon, and he said that one of the cuts on side two, I think, was uh, called Gumboots. And uh, could I do some research? I asked Paul at that time what he wanted to do with the song. He said he had written some lyrics, and he wasn't sure what he was going to do, but that he just wanted to record the song. <laughs> this thing and he sang 
And I said to him, you know, you can just do that here in, in New York. Just get a couple of great players. And, you know, you've got the instrumentation. The players can certainly do that. And he looked at me like, what? And he said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going down there. Now, perhaps like all of us, you're wanting to get your hands on that cassette that gave us Graceland? Get in line. It can't be found. It was it was a bootleg anyway that Paul Simon got from a friend, a previous friend. Now they're no longer friends. Kind of a, a variation on theme in Paul Simon's life. But it was the, uh, the, the tape, Accordion Jive Hits Volume 2. And there have been stories and theories and lies about people having it. It doesn't exist. It was... Um, somebody who knew the artists that were on there made an imaginary mix, but it's not the original. I'd still love to hear that. Now, I mentioned splitting up the different chapters of uh, the success and the controversy of this album, meaning that we need to get right to the, to the controversy of uh, kind of what went on. To recap last week, you know, in 19, 1986, Paul Simon heard a tape from South African Music, fell in love, went down there. We covered that earlier, right? Sorry. Look, this is a lot of writing and production. So hopefully you're going to follow along with this. But um, anyway, great success as well. Earned and well-deserved. But what a lot of people don't know is that he went down there in secret. Like this was during a UN-sanctioned cultural boycott of South Africa due to apartheid. And in doing so, he became the target for a lot. And I mean a lot 
written in all caps, so you know I'm serious. A lot of damage. Uh, the, the, the big thing was that Paul Simon seemed to consider himself uh, and or the art above law or politics of any land. And, you know, by secretly climbing over those imaginary but very real walls, uh, he, he set a dangerous precedent for, for other artists, you know, meaning that it could... Him going there could have very well created a very big hole in the wall that the ANC, the liberation of South Africa, was putting up to take down this government. You know, so fair enough. It was, uh, it was, it was dangerous. I would say even slightly entitled. Quite the gamble. Um, but on the other hand, when you when you look what he did while he was, I mean, first of all, he he not only paid artists that jammed with him two hundred dollars an hour for recording sessions. Okay, the going union rate in Johannesburg was $15 a day. So we went into it respectfully. But he, he brought that music and the culture and the color and the, and the positive things out of a country not known for positive things at the time. He, he gave us bands like Ladysmith, Blackman, Basso, who, you know, we're going to get into that. But, but by bringing them out, set up for life, they were going town to town in, in, in a little... Band. I mean, people here will tell you that they, locals, South Africans, didn't know about Ladysmith, Blackman, Bazo, who were playing just down the street until Graceland became a big album. But he gave us that. He, he, he gave us Miriam Makeba. Um, and nearly every musician he worked for um, have nothing but, but amazing things to say about him. So it's one of those, like I said, it's a gamble, right? What Paul summoned it is a gamble. So much could have gone wrong politically speaking, as well as what is now referred to, I guess, as cultural appropriation. But we're going to save that for next week. But, and bear with me, we are going to get into the music, but you do need this setup to understand how crazy things get. But while touring for the album Graceland, and a huge troupe, by the way, I mean, Lady Smith, Black Mombazo alone was like nine members, okay? So uh, you heard, as Simon speaking in the beginning of the show, they were in physical danger. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't the cancel culture. This wasn't people talking on uh, the internet. It wasn't around then. This wasn't just like nasty comments. They literally in danger. Uh, protesters threw three grenades into the, the storage room and numerous concerts were either canceled or postponed. And it does get worse, which leads us to that insane story dealing with Steve Enzant. You know Steve Enzant from the E Street Bands or maybe you know him from the Sopranos. But the short version is this, and I know I'm talking a lot, but I think uh, I, I, I think it's necessary to understand the importance uh, and, and what went on around Graceland. So the short version is this, and I'm just going to read from the article and then paraphrase when I need to. In the late 1980s, Steve Enzent was deeply involved in the international fight against apartheid, even traveling to South Africa to meet with Asbol. While there, Van Zandt was shown the group's assassination list and saw Paul Simon's name at the top. Again, it's an assassination list. And this is Aspo. Like, they, they're serious. And they made it clear that they were really planning to retaliate for Graceland. Van Zandt was not a huge fan of Paul Simon. But he did manage to talk them out of killing him, arguing that, look, I understand your feelings about this. I might even share your feelings about this. But it's not going to help anybody if you knock off Paul Simon. And so they talked and the group eventually agreed that a move like that would be counterproductive in the long run. That's insane. Okay? Paul Simon was on a hit list because of Graceland. Assassination, grenades, UN sanctions. A little five foot two Jewish kid from New York, right? 
of Simon and Garfunkel wore a lot of turtlenecks. This is not who you think is going to be on an assassination list for an album. Anyway, I'm talking too much, but I hope I hope it lends itself to the importance of this album. I hope it makes you appreciate this album even more. And let's get back to Graceland with my, and I think everybody's, favorite, Lady Smith Blackman Basel. I remember it was Bikini or Isaac said, we want to go to Central Park. Where do we go to get a permit? And I said, you don't need a permit. You just go. You can go anywhere you want. Those guys were coming from an imprisoned society into freedom for the first time. It was very touching. They were free. Free. The song. And then they stopped and Paul Simon said to Mr. Shabalala, can you bless this song? I'm just doing this song at Diamonds on the Soles of His Shoes. And then so Joseph just, he took a piece of paper and then the pen and then he wrote it down. Only a few words. What was the word? She's a rich She's a rich girl, she don't try to hide it Diamonds on the soles of her shoes He's a poor boy, empty as a pocket Empty as a pocket with nothing to lose Sing ta-na-na, ta-na-na-na She got diamonds on the soles of her shoes Ta-na-na, ta-na-na-na She got diamonds on the soles of her shoes 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 She's crazy, she got diamonds on the soles of her shoes Well, that's one way to lose these walking blues Diamonds on the soles of her shoes She was physically forgotten But then she slipped into my pocket with my car keys She said, you've taken me for granted Because I please you Wearing these diamonds And I could say, ooh, as if everybody knows what I'm talking about. As if everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about. I'm talking about diamonds on the soles of a shoe.
makes the sign of a teaspoon, he makes the sign of a wave. The poor boy changes clothes and he puts on aftershave to compensate for his ordinary shoes. And she said, honey, take me dancing, but they ended up by sleeping in a doorway by the bodegas and the lights on over Broadway. Wearing diamonds on the soles of their shoes And I could say, ooh, ooh, And everybody here would know what I was talking about I mean, everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about I'm talking about time to work with Paul Simon because many, many years it was very difficult to work together with a white person. Joseph Shabalala from Ladysmith Black Mombazo came into the studio. When I got a call, I just ran to my guys. Hey, I talked to somebody. His name is Paul Simon. He wanted to see me. I was proud of that. He wanted to see me. He wanted to talk to me. <laughs> And the guy said, go there, go there, don't make a mistake. Please go there and come back and tell us. The music was enchanting. It was all a cappella. I'd never heard it, really. Never heard it. And I, I thought it was so beautiful that I was in, totally intimidated. They were so good at what they did, and it was so contained that I didn't really know at the time how I could possibly fit into their world and didn't know whether they wanted me to fit into their world 
and I couldn't bring myself to ask him if he would bring the group in and try to record something in the studio. Paul was so polite. Paul has a, a special magic. Nobody has that magic. He just come to me like a baby. Like, <laughs> Father, can you teach me something? <laughs> And we hug. That was my first time to hug, especially a white man. Ibo 
We didn't have a television growing up. We we actually never owned a television, both for religious and financial reasons. But um, what I would give to go back and see Lady Smith Blackman Bazo make their debut on Saturday Night Live. Good side story, by the way. Uh, if you want a really fun article, you can read about how Lorne Michaels played an important role in getting Graceland out despite the controversy. But we have a lot of stories to get through today, so I'll leave that to you. But can you hear my squeaky chair? Or is that just an onset of a hangover? Anyway, Lady Smith, Blackman, Bazo. Um, Lady Smith is the town of the, the founder and recently departed this year, sadly. Joseph Shabalala was from, so Lady Smith was his hometown. Black was for the black ox, which is considered to be like the strongest farm animal, you know. So strength, basically. And Mambazo, which means axe in Zulu, which was um, added to, to signify them cutting out the competition, which is super cute when you <laughs> hear the guys, you know what I mean? Like this super sweet, very religious acapella gospel group. Anyway, who didn't fall in love with them, though? I mean, it's impossible not to. That 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 sound you hear, I believe it's called... Iskat Ameya, um, that that it, it's it's kind of hard to explain. It involves a lot of chorea- choreography and dancing. Just Google them, like any show they do, it's beautiful. Um, uh, crap, who? Somebody said that. Oh, I don't remember who this is, but they said it's the purest gospel sound you're ever going to hear, which I kind of agree. And it's just it's loving, it's sweet, it's cute. It's Lady Smith, Blockman, Bazo. I almost actually played "Hello, My Baby," which involves an singing a love song and then making like kissing sounds which you probably heard um as you probably heard many other songs from that 1987 album called Shaka Zulu which did win them a Grammy and also got them listed on the coveted 1001 albums to hear before you die produced by Paul Simon so Paul Simon did Graceland helped launch Ladysmith produced their album got them a Grammy huge even Nelson Mandela requested they travel with him and perform when he got his Nobel Peace Prize. So good. And like I said, Joseph Shabalala passed away in February of this year. Buried an hour or so drives from where I am now. Yeah, about an hour in his, late, in his hometown of Ladysmith. Anyway, spend some time with Ladysmith after the show, please. They're just, they're, they're, they're tremendous, I think. They're just, they're, they're tremendous. You'll smile. Anyway, Rough Sundays. Breaking down the artist 
And sometimes I'm going to say controversy because that's how people say it in most of the world. So I'm not doing that on purpose. But anyway, it's the controversy of the album Graceland. And let's get back into Graceland, shall we? You Can Call Me Al is really the story of somebody like me who just, you know, goes to Africa with no idea and ends up having some extraordinary spiritual experience. He looks around, around, he sees angels. Angels in the architecture spinning in infinity. Amen, hallelujah, and uh, starts off with, why am I soft in the middle? The rest of my life is so hard. It was self-obsessed person becomes uh, aware. A man walks down the street. He says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle? The rest of my life is so hard. I need a photo opportunity. I want a shot of redemption. Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Bone digger, bone digger, dogs in the moonlight. Far away, my well-lit door. Mr. Beer Belly, Beer Belly, get these mutts away from me, you know. I don't find this stuff amusing anymore. If you'll be my bodyguard, I can be your long-lost pal. I can call you Betty. Betty, when you call me, you can call me out. A man walks down the street, he says, why am I short of attention? Got a short little span of attention, and all my nights are so long. Where's my wife and family? What if I die here? Who'll be my role model now that my role model is gone, gone? He ducked back down the alley with some roly-poly little bat-faced girl all along. Incidents and accidents, there were hints and allegations. If you'll be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal. I can call you Betty, and Betty, when you call me, you can call me out. Call me
I actually have a few lines from that song tattooed on my arm. The angels in the architecture bit. I even used it on an Instagram story the other day. I like it. And while I want to get into the guitarist that made this song into what it is, um, I did find something out when preparing for the show, which doesn't sound like I did. But trust me. What I found out kind of blew me away. You ready? Okay, let's talk about what's the what's the standout part of this song. If it's played at a wedding, what's the part that everybody like purses out their lips and 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 plays? You know what I'm talking. It's the standout bass run, right? That just everybody begins slapping, the, or maybe they bite their bottom lip. You know, you know the bass run I'm talking about. But here's the the insane, crazy, mind-blowing thing. Like you have you ever heard that played live, that bass run? No, you have not. It's impossible. So why is it that that bass run has never been played live? Because, and I hope you're ready for this, because Simon or his producer or an engineer or his friend or all of them or whatever, they basically played half the bass run, then they flipped the track for the second part and combined them. Does that make Let me explain. You remember the basses, uh, Batiki Kumala from last week, I think is what it is. Okay, so here's the bass line. And can you, can you hear what they did? Am I making sense? It's a tough one to explain. All right. Kamala plays it, right? So that the, let's say let's say it's a five second five second clip. Kamala plays it for two point five seconds. Then they flip the track and play it right next to it. So what you're hearing is half of a real bass run, and then the other half bass run reversed. And let me play it backwards, just so this is making sense. That is in effing sane. Maybe you knew that. Maybe I'm the only person in the entire world that didn't go, yeah, obviously they just played it backwards. But I love that. It's ingenious. You know what they're doing? They were backmasking. Remember backmasking? If you're from the Midwest in my age, you'll remember backmasking. It was the scariest thing at the times where you play records backwards and it's like, you do worship Satan? You, you, you know what I mean? Like, parents freaked out. I think it was... Um, it was the Beatles, I think, were the first time that it did. I don't know if it follow Satan or or drink tea with milk. Who knows what they were saying? But what I'm saying is backmasking was scary. And what you just heard on You Can Call Me Out was, in fact, backmasking. Hang on. Need some coffee. Are you still here? I'm pretty wordy uh, during this series. Sorry about that. But... I want to talk more about the guitarist on that track, not the bassist. We talked about him last week, but the guitarist in the track. It's a guy by the name of Ray Peary, I think is how you pronounce that. And um, he was in a fantastic band from South Africa called Stimela. So let's play Stimela. It's Rough Sunday.
The band's name is Stimela. And if you're looking to make fast friends down here in South Africa, simply say, you ready for this? I like the band Stimela. They're legendary around here. Do, doing this kind of grainy Afrofusion, I guess is what it's called. But of course, with this being a controversial album, there's a bit of controversy between uh, Paul Simon and, and the guitarist, Ray Perry. As if this album didn't have enough, but uh, I could have left this out and kept it on a nice tip, but hear the truth. So Ray Peary said, and I quote, there's bad blood with Paul Simon. He never gave me, never gave me credit on the albums that I wrote or the songs that I wrote, and financially we hardly got any royalties. But maybe I wouldn't have been able to handle all that wealth. I sleep at night, I have my sanity, and I enjoy living. The big rock and roll machine did not munch me. Now, it should be said that this is the only complaint that any musician gave on this album. And it's a little bit suspect. Um, I should also say that it's it's not the only legal threat that American musicians made over this, but we're going to get that to the next episode because this is already turning into a monster of an episode. But um, you're here for the music. But if it's more controversy you want, even more than what we've been talking about in teasing, and keep in mind we talked about an assassination plot where Steve Van Zandt had to step in, then we should probably mention that Linda Ronstadt coming in to sing vocals on this next next track was, was one of the biggest controversies. But in fact, it got kind of swept into the rug due to the fact that Paul Simon was getting grenades thrown at him, right? So, the great Linda Ronstadt and Paul Simon off the controversy album Graceland under African Skies. Falling and calling your name out 
These are the roots of rhythm and the roots of rhythm we there's going to be controversy. It's Graceland, the album. That's what it's all about, right? But a controversy that didn't involve Paul Simon, well, not at first anyway. Let me explain. Graceland came out in 1986. Okay? All right. Back in 1984, two years prior, Linda Ronstadt played four shows at a place called Sun City in South Africa. All right. Now, this hotel and, and resort was basically constructed into what is the, or on what is the equivalent of... Um, Native American land, okay? And although the owners, of course, this is during apartheid, so uh, we can pretty much guess that the owners are going to be white, even though they said this was apolitical, it most certainly was not. It was a, it was a fancy white place for fancy white people living in a country that was uh, ruled by fancy white people who uh, it was racism, right? But uh, Linda Ronstadt played a few shows, four shows, took home half a million bucks, a lot of money at the time. And she got a lot of heat for it. Four shows in a white resort under apartheid government when everybody knows what's going on in South Africa. She got heat, and a lot as well she should have. Now, before we get into how terrible Linda Ronstadt was to do this, she was not alone, all right? Uh, Beach Boys, Cher, Liza Minnelli, Frank Sinatra, Paul Inca, Status Quo, Rod Stewart, Elton John, and even Queen played there. And they did so knowing. All right, let's say the Beach Boys, who were the first to do it, didn't know. Everybody knew after the Beach Boys. So it was incredibly wrong. Incredibly wrong. There's actually a song by Artist Against Apartheid called I Won't Play Sun City. So super wrong. Disgustingly wrong. Just disgusting, all right? So Ronstadt got a lot of bad press. Fast forward a few years later, and Paul Simon needs help with a song called Under African Skies. Out of anybody, he could have chosen to be a female co-writer, co-singer. He chooses Linda Ronstadt, who had been in the news for doing four shows in a white resort under an apartheid government. All right? That's kind of disgusting as well. And I am obviously a Paul Simon fan. But of all the things that was going on her... And and this was this was this was pre blowback from the UN and the ANC and the media and the assassination and the greatest whatever of all the people to choose, he knowingly chose somebody that had played four shows under an apartheid government when people were saying please don't. Um, 
it was always my least favorite song on the album anyway. But now it definitely is. And that brings us to the end of the show. Quite loquacious during this series. I hope it was at least, in, I hope the music you enjoyed. All right. But I am fascinated by the story about Graceland. And we're still, we still got one more part. Like it still gets crazier. All right. But I want to leave you on a high note. Usually we play a song from the artist featured on the track. I don't want to play Linda Ronstadt, especially after the story we heard. And also like her stuff was either like super sad or kind of, she, she kind of got a little, um, kind of guitar heavy. So I've never been a massive Linda Ronstadt fan, to tell you the truth. After hearing about what she did, even less so. But I want to end the show on a high note. And so I want to bring back those cuddly and beautiful fellas from Ladysmith Blackman Botho. Hey, baby, hey, beautiful girls. Hey, baby, hey, 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 beautiful girls. Hey, baby, hey, say. Hey, baby, hey, 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 beautiful girls.
to tell you that I want to meet you at the station. Come on, was there ever a sweeter band? I dare you to try to find them. Anyway, part two, part three, part two of three of the story and the artist and the controversy behind the music, Graceland. I do hope you enjoy that. I do hope if you're still listening, thank you. I, in my 20s, yes, I made a point of um, making sure everybody heard my voice and what I was going to say. I don't, I, fortunately, after a 20 year string of unsuccessful projects, I've begun to realize that uh, it has nothing to do with me and that the more I shut up, the more successful it might be. But it was important for me to tell you these stories behind Graceland. And the next time you hear it, to, to appreciate the album even more. So, yes, we'll be back next week, part three of Graceland. Subscribe uh, in all the places. You know how to do it now. I'm off to um, enjoy my last day of being 44 years old. And uh, I think uh yeah that's it wow no way to end this love you miss you see you goodbye